Good morning, everybody. My name is Nathaniel. I'm the missions guy here. Uh, I'm glad y'all can join us. Uh, If you are new here, there are cards in the rows. Please fill it out. We'd love to connect with you and be able to get to know you better. Uh, There's also Bibles in the rows and in the back at the Connect table. Those are a gift to you. If you find yourself without one or in need of one, please take it. Uh, We are glad to have you this morning. Today we are uh, continuing our uh, sermon series in 1 Peter. So last week was Holy Week and we took a break off to be able to celebrate that time uh, and to be able to worship and glorify our King. And so now we're getting back into 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter 4, the last half um, today. And Peter, uh, throughout his entire letter, has talked about suffering. And so we've had multiple times to be able to talk about it, and uh, suffering has been a common theme uh, that we've touched on, and today's kind of the time when Peter's wrapping things up. He's kind of giving his final thoughts on what suffering is, and specifically how, as a Christian, as a believer, we respond to suffering. And so suffering itself happens to all believers. It happens to everybody, And the reason why is because sin exists in the world. When sin entered into the world, it corrupted creation. It made things go sideways the way that God did not uh, intend creation to be in its its full perfection. And so because of that, we have things that happen and things, uh, whether it's uh, really... You know, bad things that may happen in your family or in your life, uh, a death of a loved one, whether it's just a random occurrence like your tire blowing out on the way to work. Like we've got things that happen in our life that, you know, kind of throw us sideways, make us think, you know, uh, man, I wish this didn't happen. I wish that, you know, my life was a little bit better. I wish that, you know, I could just get through this day. Or for me specifically, it's like, I wish I could just get through this this whole past week and this weekend because it's just been a lot of stuff, good stuff, but it's been just a lot. And so, you know, stress comes up and we get emotions and uh, sometimes life is just difficult, right? It's just difficult. And, the, and sin is the root cause of just all this hardship. By the grace of God, we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And with that comes a renewed heart, which means that sin loses its power over us, right? And it does. It, it, le- it leaves uh, no, uh, it has no hold over us anymore. But that doesn't mean that the influence of sin is still not around us. Not until the moment of glorification when we're with uh, God in heaven after, after we die and we're with him in heaven and sin is no more, we will always have sin alongside us and it will always be trying to influence us and pull us. Matter of fact, uh, uh, Jesus talks about and Paul talks about how there are two masters in this world always vying to control us. One is sin and one is God. And sin is always wanting to hold us and pull us away from God so that it can control our lives. And, and Jesus says that in the same way we have, we have a choice then when we become a Christian that we can, we can have sin as our master because it's always wanting us. It's always wanting to pull you back. But God should be our master. He's our king and he's the other master that we have a choice to serve then. And even uh, as a Christian, both forces are still pulling at us. A non-believer, they don't have a choice. 
If you don't know Jesus, you don't have a choice. You're always going to serve sin. You're always going to serve your fleshly desires, always serve the things of this world. But as a believer, we have an opportunity to be released from the power that sin has over us. And just because the power is gone, though, the presence still remains. And so it's still tickling our ear, trying to get us to go back to the things that dishonor God. And so our life as a believer is living on this knife's edge daily. Are you going to choose to serve sin? Or are you going to choose to serve God? And our suffering is tied in very closely with this concept. Because these forces, as they're pulling us one way or the other, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of everything happening in our life, we're able to see the fruit of whichever master is dominating our life. We see these two masters at war within us, and we can suffer as one who chooses to serve the master sin, or we can suffer in a way that shows that we serve God in all things that we do. So who are you going to choose? In the fire of your trials, which master are you going to serve? And that's what we're going to tackle today. And we're in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, and I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to dive into what Peter has to say about suffering. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and it begins with us. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Lord, thank you so much for today to be able to be here together with my church family and to be able to just dive into your word. Thank you for your scripture, your holy scripture, which teaches us everything we need to know about you and how you reveal yourself to us through it. I surrender myself right now to you, Holy Spirit, speak through me. Let your message, your will be done today in this time. I am just a servant for you. And as we dive into this uh, discussion on suffering, it's something that's very difficult, something that uh, can be hard to hear, hard to understand sometimes. And it's also something that hits close to home for many of us. I know it has for me this week. Please help it to uh, just transform our hearts and to renew us even more as we seek redemption and we seek renewal in your eyes. So we thank you and we praise you. Amen. All right, so before we get into really what Peter's talking about with suffering, I wanted to go through just a review of what we've talked about in the past in this sermon series with suffering. And so suffering, we've talked about there's three different types of suffering. The first type of suffering is natural suffering. And natural suffering is the stuff that just happens in our life. It's when uh, your, your tire blows. It's when, you know, something is going wrong at the house. 
And it seems like those always kind of come in waves, right? Where everything that can happen all of a sudden does happen. You know, your water goes out, you have to replace something on the car, and it all happens within a day, right? And and it's just horrible. And sometimes this natural suffering uh, just really can overwhelm us. But it's stuff that just happens to everybody. It's a part of living in this world, and, and it's things that, though they may not be a big deal, they build up on us, and we, we find ourselves stressed because of it and having a hard time handling you know, everything happening, or it just makes life seemingly more difficult for us. And that's natural suffering. It's just, it's just a part of everything that's happening. The second type of suffering is unjust suffering. And Peter talks about this in this passage where really it's persecution of the Christian. And persecution can often be... Uh, blown out proportion in many ways, especially in the American church, because uh, honestly, we have a lack of understanding of what persecution really is. Um, Peter here, though, is talking about a specific type of persecution where it's social persecution, and this is a type of persecution that is resonating more and more with the American church, especially today. We're starting to see more and more that we're being socially ostracized because of our beliefs and because of what scripture teaches us. And so Peter is diving into this right here. And this persecution can be in all types of things, but he's talking about being insulted because of your faith, being persecuted because of your belief in Christ. And then the third type of suffering is just suffering. Just suffering is the natural consequences that we have because of sinful behavior. Peter is not talking about just suffering suffering in this passage, and nothing I'm going to say from this point forward is going to be about it too. When you sin and when you choose to dishonor God and to cave into sin, then you are putting yourself in a situation where you will have consequences because of that sin. And so Peter's not talking about that. Consequences from sin is going to happen, and it's not a part of what this message is going to be. So we're going to be talking about natural suffering, the things that just happen in your life, and unjust suffering, persecution because of your faith. Those are the types of suffering we're talking about today. And so with that in mind, we're going to have two questions that we're going to dive into today. First is, why do you suffer? And this uh, passage gives us two reasons why we suffer. The first one is to refine you to refine your faith. And so we talked about this a lot in chapter one, uh, Pastor Marco did in his sermon. And so we're not going to spend a ton of time on this. In fact, I really just wanted to kind of give you a a few good nuggets, you know, to kind of dig into and to be able to uh, take with you. And (laughs) nuggets. Uh, Okay. Um, So we're talking about, I didn't mean to do that, but now I'm like everywhere. Uh, so when you're refined, what he's talking about is like a precious metal is refined. It's melted down and, and the impurities come out. And then you have gold or silver, right? And so, eh, never mind. Okay. And so you've got the, the precious gold. I'm really like flummoxed right now. Um, I'm just so funny, I guess. But <laughs> I really like dad jokes. And so like the cornier, the better. And that's quality. <laughs> And so what he's talking about is that through our suffering, we're able to be refined 
refined in our faith, just in the same way that the impurities are melted out of uh, precious silver and precious gold. And so in Isaiah 48, 9 through 11, he really lays it out very clearly. And he gives you the comparison where uh, our suffering is that furnace that refines the precious metal. And so we're the precious metal that's being refined. And it says in Isaiah 48, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another." We see that we go through suffering because our faith is made more pure and strengthened in the fires of affliction. Another great uh, quote that I really like is from the Jewish scribe and educator Joshua ben Sarak. And he says, My child, when you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for testing. Set your heart right and be steadfast, and do not be impetuous in times of calamity. Cling to him and do not depart so that your last days may be prosperous. Accept whatever befalls you and in times of humiliation be patient. For gold is tested in the fire and those found acceptable in the furnace of humiliation. Trust in him and he will help you. Make your ways straight and hope in him. We go through things and through the midst of that, through the midst of hardship and suffering and trials and just some of the bad luck that we go through, our faith can be refined in the midst of these moments. And so we should welcome it. Number two, why do we suffer is for future glory. And that's in verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is Revealed In sentence structure, uh, when there's a that or a so that or an in order so that, like these uh, words tie in two thoughts and make them one and make them uh, tied in very closely. And right here we see that we rejoice so that we may rejoice when his glory is revealed. And so rejoicing and his glory is tied in very closely together. In fact, the Greek word for uh, that, for so that, that little phrase is hina, which means so that in order to, but there's a deeper uh, connotation that goes with it, which I really, really like. It says that it means he uh, is saying it's dramatically expressing purpose. And so it's not just tying them in into a sentence that says, you know, because this happens, this happens, or, or this and that. He's rather saying that it dramatically expresses a purpose behind why they're tied in. It's not just because they do or there's a correlation, but rather uh, it, it's, it's a dramatic expression. And there's a clear purpose behind it. And so we rejoice so that we can enjoy future glory enjoy Christ's future glory. And what he's talking about there is the second coming of Christ when he comes and makes a new heaven and a new earth and he will glorify all creation, including ourselves, and we will be able to be glorified beside him and be able to worship the Father forever in holiness. And he's saying that there's a close tie-in and a purpose for our rejoicing now to go along with that. 
And so that really made me start thinking, okay, what's that really mean then for right now? For our life today? What's that, what's that tie-in, that relationship? And it really comes down to that our ability to rejoice in the midst of our suffering today, when everything's going wrong, our ability to be able to have joy in those moments is directly tied into our ability to enjoy Christ's second coming. When we are with him in glory and we are uh, with him in that, in that future glory he's talking about, our enjoyment of it is directly related to how much we can have joy in the midst of our suffering today. And that's a hard thing to think about because oftentimes we kind of fail in the midst of our suffering today. I know I do. Like this has wrecked me in so many ways because I realize my reaction to certain things, certain uh, situations or stuff that happens in my life, I react poorly. I react in anger or I react in stress or I'll lash out at my wife and say something hurtful. And that is showing a weakness in my relationship with God. Romans 8, 18 through 23 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The glory that is going to be revealed when Christ comes again and he perfects creation and takes sin away from the equation, that is so much more than anything we can go through today. And he says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Sin has corrupted creation. Sin has corrupted us. And yet we have a hope in something better. And hope, like we've talked about before, hope is not something we wish for. That's what the world thinks hope means. Hope means that we know in our hearts that there's a promise that will be fulfilled. And so we live in hope, knowing that there is something better coming. And in the midst of that hope, anything that happens today, anything that may go on in your life, I mean, it's nothing compared to what we have coming. And so your ability to trust and believe in the hope that we have as written in Scripture, your ability to trust that is reflecting your ability to rejoice in the midst of your suffering, which in turn is reflecting how your relationship with God is. One of the hardest things for me on an individual level is to be able to trust God completely. And this comes out in being able to surrender things to him, being able to surrender my life to him in all areas. I want to hold on to things. I want to make sure I still have control over certain areas of my life. And because of that, I withhold myself from God. 
And basically what I'm saying in those moments is that I value myself more than I value him. And valuing myself means I'm choosing one master, I'm choosing sin over God. How often do we all do that in our lives? And suffering is the time when that comes out full force because that's when our emotions are going to be at their highest. It's going to be the peak of everything. And so we are able to see that in the midst of suffering, we are able to see what our relationship with God really is. So we ask for joy. And joy is not an emotion. I think people confuse that. Happiness is an emotion. Happiness is when you, you know, feel good and you feel happy, all that. Joy, as Scripture teaches, is the ability to abide in God's promise and to be able to understand exactly what that hope in his future glory is and to be able to rest assured in it and know that you are a son and a daughter of God who you have nothing to worry about because God will take care of you. That's what it means to have joy in a situation. So how does your reaction to trial reflect your relationship with God? Is it a strong relationship? Do you find yourself reacting well in the midst of something unexpected? Are you finding your relationship maybe is a little weak, a little tenuous, maybe not where it's supposed to be? So the next question that we're going to go into, which will be the rest of our time today, is how do you suffer? How do you suffer? So we know why we suffer, and that's been talked about throughout all of 1 Peter, really. But this passage is specifically talking about, as a believer, as a Christian, how should we suffer? What should it look like? And so we've got the two masters uh, vying for our attention. One is sin, one is God. And so are we going to suffer in a way that reflects one who chooses sin? Are we going to suffer in a way as one who chooses God? And so I've got a list of stuff that is right here in the passage. And we're just going to go through them. And I encourage you just to bear yourself to it and say, all right, where am I really at on this? Have I been responding well in the midst of stuff? Have I been responding well when things happen in my life? Or am I responding poorly and showing that God is not the king of my life in all areas? So the first one is in verse 12. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial. And so one who chooses sin is going to respond in a way that's unprepared. It's going to be a shock. And that shock necessarily isn't a bad thing because things happen unexpectedly and your reaction is going to be like, well, can't believe that just happened. But then that shock oftentimes turns into what? Anger, stress, fear. You're lashing out at someone. And it's because you're unprepared for something to happen. Even though we know things happen, you know, if your car breaks down, on the, on the highway, you, you know that's a possibility every time you drive, that something could happen and it could go wrong. And yet it happens and it's unexpected and you immediately are upset about it. I know I am. When something happens with my car, I do not do well with that. 
Something else that really, really just bothers me is we've had fleas in the house before. We don't even have a pet. And we get fleas in the house because like a possum will just live underneath it, right? And then we got fleas everywhere. We've had that happen to us, what, twice, three times? Three times. Three times we've had fleas. And we've never even had a dog. I'm very upset about that. <laughs> and so that, when that happens, though, I, I get mad. Like, I, it's unexpected. I'm shocked. I don't even believe it at first. Nicole's always like, I'm pretty sure we have fleas. And I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, we don't have fleas. And then like two weeks later, they're like everywhere. And I'm like, fine, I, I believe it. <laughs> it's there. And when that happens, though, I get so ticked off. And I respond horribly. I will definitely say that. But it's because I'm completely unprepared for something like that to happen where it's going to have to go out of my comfort to be able to manage the situation. For me, I want my life to be as comfortable as possible. And when you get an infestation or your car breaks down, it is not comfortable. You're going to have to do something extra. You're going to have to miss work. You're going to have to pay a ton of money to get it to stop. And when we're unprepared for stuff to happen in our life, we're going to respond poorly, like I too often do. But if we react in a way as someone who serves Christ, then we are prepared for things to happen. Because we recognize that it's really not a big deal. Because we're resting in his word and his promise of that eternal hope, right? That eternal glory with him. And so we're not shocked into an emotional response. Rather, we are able to then give it to God and surrender it to him and say, all right, let's deal with this. This is just part of life. It's going to happen. One thing that I found that really helps is Ephesians 6, talking about the armor of God. And that passage is such a good way to be prepared for you know, the, uh, the attacks of the enemy, but also just daily stuff that happens because it reminds us of his promises and puts us in the right state of mind. And so are you going to be one that's unprepared or prepared? Number two is found in verse 16. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. Shame is the response of one who chooses sin. Shame can come out in so many different ways. It can come out in response to sin of our behavior. It can come out in response to emotion, feeling like, oh, just because I have emotion that I should be ashamed of this, or, oh, it's not manly enough, you know? I shouldn't weep. Dude, men weep, and it's a good thing. But we have shame for things, you know what? Sometimes we may even have shame for who we are, period. We may look at our life and look at our, ourselves and say, man, I wish I was like that guy. I wish I didn't have this about me or that about me. I wish I looked a different way or had different abilities or talents. And we just have shame for no reason other than our existence, and that is born out of choosing to serve sin as our master. But when you choose to serve God in all areas of your life, then what's born out of it is confidence. We have confidence in our identity of who we are. 
Jesus teaches that we are sons and daughters of a heavenly father who loves us and has paid the price for our sins because he cares for us that much. And with that, we are renewed and redeemed and we are able to enter into relationship with our king, with our creator. That's who you are. What you can do, the things that you think are important in this life, how you look, that's not who you are. Who you are is a son or a daughter of God. And he loves you intimately. That's what we need to be seeking. And through an identity in him, a correct identity in God, we will find in the midst of our suffering that we are able to rest more fully in his promises. Because we believe it. We trust him in it. Shame does not govern us. So do you have shame or do you have confidence in your identity? Number three is found in verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God and it begins with us. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? That passage in 18 if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What he's saying there is that even for the believer, even for the Christian, for those of us who follow him, which is who he's talking to, says for the Christian, it is difficult to live a life where you choose God as your master. Sin's influence is always yanking at you. And he says, so if you're scarcely saved, if you're still struggling daily with this fight, how much more so is it for those who don't even know me? And so we may look at the stuff in our life happening. We may look at, you know, how difficult it seems. And if that's all we can think about is just my own situation, what's happening in my life, we're completely discounting the lives of everyone else in the world. Those who don't know Christ have no foundation to rest on. We have the hope in the promises of Scripture to be able to go back to. We have our identity in Christ to go back to. If somebody doesn't know who Jesus is, they have nothing to go back to. They have only themselves, and I mean, y'all know that we're not really that good, (laughs) we're not great. And so the reaction is, are we going to have a selfish reaction or a humble reaction? Selfish in the sense that we're going to focus on ourselves. We're going to focus on our own problems. And woe is me. Everything's about me. Or are we going to respond in a way of of humility, knowing that God has our life in his hands. We have been renewed and transformed. We believe and trust in him. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try to share that foundation with the rest of the world. Because when we respond in a way that shows humility, that means we're responding in a way where we care about others more than ourselves. And if somebody doesn't know who God is, if they don't have a relationship with him, then that should be our greatest concern. 
We hold the greatest gift in the world in our hands. And yet we hold so tightly to it sometimes, not caring that other people don't know. There's actually a statistic that says that in millennial Christians in the United States, over half say that it's wrong, morally wrong, to share your faith with somebody of a different religion or an atheist with the intent to convert. That's the teaching that we're running against today. That's what people believe and they think, is that it's wrong to share who God is. But we know the truth, that God is the only way, the only path to salvation. We are born broken and sinful, and God says, in the midst of this, I'm going to pluck you out of it, and I'm going to give you a renewed heart and transform you. We know this. We have this. And yet we don't share it. In fact, we allow the next generation of believers to think that it's wrong to do so. Be bold in your faith. Speak out for it. It is, it is so selfish for us to think that others don't need it just as much as we do. And we should know better than anyone how broken we are. We're no better than anyone else. And so if we have it, we, wanna, we should want to share it with everyone else and let them have it too. And that is the role that God has given the church. He uses us as his primary means of grace in this world to share his gospel. Philippians 2 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The best way to serve someone else is to share Jesus with them. Number four is found in 19, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I see two things here. I see that we could respond in a way of fear or we can respond in a way of trust. And we've talked about this a little bit already where if we have a firm uh, understanding and belief in the hope of his future glory and we understand the promises of scripture, then we have completely trusted ourselves to him and surrendered ourselves to him. If we have not surrendered ourselves to him, then we are resting on something other than that, which means fear is going to be our initial response. When something horrible happens in your life, oftentimes fear is a response where we're afraid of maybe what's going to happen. We're afraid of change. We're afraid of everything that could go wrong in response to that. We're afraid of other people's reactions. Fear is a natural response but God does something supernatural in us where he can take that fear and push it away and he can say, no, you have nothing to fear because you can rest in me. And so with that, we need to have trust in him. And trust is going to come out by surrendering yourself to him daily. Psalm 31.5 says, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. We have been redeemed. 
We need to trust him to handle our lives because he is our king. He's the one that has complete control over everything. He's the creator. Why would we trust ourselves over him? So stop holding on to control of your life and surrender it to God. And it's going to be daily. It's going to be something you have to do constantly. We're always going to want to withdraw back to ourselves, but he says to continually surrender ourselves to him. And the last one we see in verse 13, we've already talked about it, rejoice as you share in Christ's suffering so you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We respond in anger or we're going to respond in joy. Anger is the most common response. It's a response that I definitely responded more often than I should. And yet he says to respond in joy, to rejoice. And when we have joy, it changes everything. When we're able to go throughout our day and something happens and we're able to then just act in a joyful spirit, how much does that stand out? If you're going to be at work and everything's just going crazy and you're able to be that joyful person in the office, people take notice. People see that there's something different about you. And that's because there is something different about you. And you need to have confidence in it. Rest in it. Know that God is doing it for a purpose and for a reason. It doesn't mean emotion doesn't go away. Emotion's going to be there. We're always going to struggle with things. We're always going to have a hard time grasping uh, why something's happening. And the emotion is going to be present. But that's because joy is not an emotion. It's a state of being. So when you are in the midst of joy, that means all those emotions can be there, and yet you're reacting in a way that honors God in all things. Every situation will be turned on its head because of it. And I'm going to wrap things up and, it, and leave you with this thought. Not having the ability to have joy in the midst of our suffering shows a weakness in our relationship with God. Because you're not surrendering yourself to him. You're not letting him control your life. You're not making him king. You're sitting on your own throne. We hold on to ourselves too often. We don't surrender to him. We want to keep control. We show that our greatest treasure in this world is ourselves. The greatest treasure we have is God. He's the only thing that matters. He's the only thing worthy of our praise. He's the only one that deserves worship. We don't deserve it. He does. So when all comfort and happiness and all security is stripped away, in the midst of your hardship, we're going to see what your preeminent treasure is in this world. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that God is going to be revealed as our most valuable treasure in our hearts. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for today and for your word. Thank you for everything that you've shown us throughout First Peter. You are amazing, and I just worship you so much. I glorify you in all things. And I, and I pray this from my own heart where I struggle so much with surrendering myself to you and being able to have joy in things. I find myself so often responding in a way that is uh, not great. It, it's not a good reflection of you. And realizing that because of that, I have failed you and I have uh, worshipped myself or worship my sin more than I worship you, it's heartbreaking and I grieve over it and I ask that you help me to be able to surrender to you today and every single day. In the same way, I ask that everyone here is going to be able to really evaluate their own lives and their own hearts and their relationship with you and know exactly where they're at and where they need to be. Lord, I thank you so much Words can't express how much I love you and how much you love me more so than I can even imagine. Thank you for all that you do. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you again and again to be with us the rest of today as we continue to worship together as a church family. And now we're going to transition into another area of worship, uh, of offering of tithes and offering, of giving. Thank you for that opportunity to be able to show our surrender to you in the midst of our wallets, to be able to say that we're not going to hold on to this. It's not our king. It's not what we worship, but rather we worship you. So I thank you for the opportunity. I thank you for everything that you do through uh, the church and through the faithful giving, those who follow you. So I thank you and I praise you in all